Inspiring stories, practical applications. Doing ministry well. If you haven't checked out the new doingministrywell.com website, check it out. We chose Swissco to do our overhaul and are so happy with the results. Swissco makes ministry websites beautiful and hassle-free. Schedule a free consultation today at swissco.us. All right. Hello, everyone. Thanks for checking into another episode of Doing Ministry Well. We are in Brentwood, Tennessee today, and I'm Jim Baker, your host. And today we are joined by Dave Buring. Dave, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm glad I could be with you. Dave, it's funny because uh, I just recently moved here to Tennessee, and I told Kenny Jackson when I was in Hawaii what I was going to do, starting up some discipleship ministries uh, in Tennessee, and immediately he was like, you got to meet this guy, Dave Buring. Do you know Dave Buring? <laughs> and then the first Doing Ministry Well interview I did here, uh, I did it at Keith Stansel's house, and as yeah. soon as I told him what I was doing, he's like, you got to meet Dave Buring. So, <laughs> so here we are, and we actually That's... got to spend some time with you uh, before this interview, so yeah. thanks so much for taking the time yeah, to do this. Yeah, I'm glad to. Yeah. Um, Dave, tell me how long you've been doing ministry and kind of what you've done through that process, and then we'll talk about what you're doing currently as well. Okay. Yeah. This, actually, this month marks uh, 38 years for me in ministry. Um, I'm 56, gave my life to the Lord when I was 12, 13, and right out of high school, uh, joined Youth of the Mission. So I was 18 at that time. And, um, and, Spent seven years as a missionary, working a lot with um, Hawaiian young people on the big island of Hawaii and throughout Hawaii, and then uh, did some things in Australia and Brazil and, of course, the U.S. mainland. And then when I was 25, shifted into uh, pastoral ministry, and I spent a chunk of years, uh, 20, 25 years doing that with a little pause in there of um, mobilizing teams into Russia from 1991 to to 95 when everything opened up there. Mm -hmm. And we had 11 trips in there and several hundred people. And we we focused on the city of Krasnodar, about of a million, and went into every school and gave them what was called the Kaniga Zizhny, which in Russian is the Book of Life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an amazing, like, never forget experience. Uh, You know how you pass out literature tracks here in our own country and you end up having to pick up 90% of it on the ground. Here, you throw this Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, not one, not one thing that I ever pick up. And, and it was like, so at that point I was going, thank you, Lord, for the, the Communist Party that made it 99% literate. Wow. And so everybody was ready to read. And so it was an amazing kind of time in our life. Then we went back into some church planting and pastoring and... Um, then in 2006, I left doing that full-time and have launched into some of the things that I'm doing now. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. So there's kind of a uh, three-tipped fork, I guess you could say. There, there's a, uh, an organization called Lion Share that I lead that focuses on making disciple makers. And we have a tool called a discipleship journey that is a, a resource that is now translated in various languages. And it's, it's basically a tool if someone says... I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't know what to do. It provides them a tool with a dozen topics that are essential in the lives of a follower of Jesus. We also do something called D4, which are our three-day encounters with Jesus that lets people have a fresh taste of what does it mean to follow him, hear his voice, and obey him. And then it, it spins them into how would you help friends catch this? Mm-hmm. And it gives them a vision for discipling, and we introduce the tool and go from there. So Lion shares one thing. Um, Secondly, I, uh, uh, I'm out maybe eight to ten days a month uh, preaching and teaching in different locations. I, I'm not kind of itinerant speaker dude. I've never had ambition for that. But it's more strategic out of relationships of people that are friends that I can serve and, 
and um, and then coming alongside and advising leaders and discipling leaders in what I call the dozen do- domains of society, arts, business, media, etc. Um, and then my third piece is um, I have the privilege of, of working uh, as one of the pastors at Grace Chapel, which is here in the Franklin area, and um, I help with the guys, and then I pinch hit in the pulpit when our pastor is gone. Mm. So the combination of those things keeps me out of trouble. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Dave, in your 38 years of ministry, what would you say the highlight of that time has been? Is there one story that you can think of that you just point to as, man, that was awesome? You know, when you get old in the tooth like this, there's too many. Um, <laughs> you know, when I think of that, I um, there's two things that come to mind. And, and there's there's a lot of stories here. Um, but, but the first would be watching Jesus transform people to the point that they reproduce the things of God in others. Mm. So I think of my friend Kent Chevalier. Kent is um, 37 or 38. He's a pastor in Pittsburgh. I met him when he was in his early to mid-20s and uh, began to pour into his life. And he just to watch God do things as, as you know, you pour things into people, but the key is obedience. Mm. Are they obeying what the Lord's showing them? And he was. And um, and one of the cool things now is he has caught the vision to reproduce disciple makers as well. So I just did an event um, in August with him in Pittsburgh, and um, he said, "Hey, come up here. Let's do this picture." And and so it was a picture of me and Kent, and then a guy named George who's sixty that Kent has poured into. Mm. And George is a flippin' disciple making machine, and mm. he had a guy that George had discipled Luke, and then a new guy I had never met, so it was discipling five generations wow. deep. And I've had several of those moments, and those are some of the most satisfying because to me they're um, it's not a one and done thing. I know that if I go to heaven today, that the things I invested, Kent looked me in the eyes and he said, "Hey, when you're gone." This is going to keep going, you know. That's huge. That's a very meaningful thing. And then I'd say the second thing that's equal to it to me is the, um, I may not be a wealthy man financially, but I feel like one of the richest men in the world in relationships. Mm. And um, ministry for me has always been an overflow of relationship. Mm. It's not about doing my gifts. It's not about doing an event. It's not, it's, it's what are the relationships and what's God doing in that, in the giving, receiving, partnering, teaming, whatever. And some of the projects that are unfolding for me now in the, in the days ahead are uh, at 56, I kind of feel like it's me calling in my relationships that I've invested in or they've invested in me and saying, look, this is what God's asking of me. Will you help me? And I know if they're literally a waiting on God prayer time away from saying yes. Hmm. And so I'd say though the combination of those two things would be my heavenly takeaways hmm. yeah that's awesome yeah speaking of highlights i'm looking at a photo right now with some some giants mm, in the faith just yeah. tell me a little bit about that because that sure. looks like a highlight to me <laughs> yeah yeah that was a that was a pretty pretty awesome moment so um let me just think of time frame here so november of 2002 i was invited to go to memphis you know which is as you know a couple hour drive away and there was a pastor there by the name of dr adrian rogers and Dr. Rogers was 70, 72, somewhere in there, and he had just written his kind of life message in a book. It was called uh, Kingdom Authority. And so a friend of mine at the church here um, said to me, Dave, would you be open to being the interviewer for this? And I had you know, aspired early on in life to do radio, TV stuff, and the Lord redirected my stuff into a different kind of communication. 
but I have always felt comfortable. And he said, would you, would you be the host? And I'd done some of that before. And so Cheryl and I waited on the Lord, felt like we were to do it. And so I went over there and had a great time with him. It was a privilege just to meet him. And um, I, I got a potty break or something. We were sitting around this fireplace kind of vibe. And, you know, it was something I'd never thought of before, Jim. And it just was, boom. It was like, you know how when God just gives you, it was right there in front of me. And it was it was that picture, like, it, you know, of six fathers sitting around a fireplace talking about their journeys with the Lord and what they've learned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... I remember going to Bill Cox, who who does stuff for Beth Moore and others, who was there that day, and I shared it with him, and he just said, "Dude, you need to, you need to at least go back to the Lord on this. You know, was that bad pizza or Fantasy mm-hmm. Island, or was that actually God?" Mm-hmm. And um, and long story short, it was a, a six-year journey. Uh, in June of 2008, the Lord just sovereignly provided both the finances and. The, the biggest challenge was these men's schedules. Because, sure. you know, it's Jack Hayford, who's kind of pastor of pastors. Lloyd Ogilvie, who's been voted one of the top dozen communicators of the gospel of his generation. And and then you have John Perkins, you know, who's like father of racial reconciliation and all that. It's just an amazing man. Um, Lauren Cunningham, founder of YWAM, uh, who's one of the guys that's spoken in my life, as well as Winky Prattney. And then Dr. Henry Blackaby. And... We had in June of 2008 a three days together that was just remarkable. And so what we did is we um, we had four HD cameras and filmed it, and uh, for my age group and emerging generation, because I don't know how long these guys are going to be around. And we thought let's capture this. So we just kind of lofted questions to them, my brother and I, and uh, Tom's a TV producer and anchor guy, and, and we just lofted questions, kind of stayed out of it, and let them dialogue with each other, and it's just gold. Wow. And so it ended up, there was a thing called Conversations with Fathers of the Faith that we did that's more leaders-oriented, and it's six 40-minute sessions. Um, but like the first session, for example, is we asked the question, um, you know, how do you see Jesus? How do you, how, what's your walk with the Lord like? And I won't forget Jack Hayford. You know, who, it's like for Pete's sake, you're Jack Hayford, you know? <laughs> but here's what he says. He said, I still feel like a little boy in his presence. Hmm. And just line after line after that, you're just going, oh my, my brother and I kept looking at each other like, that's just gold. <laughs> you know, it's seasoned wisdom, you know, from men who fear the Lord. And uh, so we did that. And then we did another one called Wisdom for Difficult Times that has about 40% different content. And it's more of a small group format. Like yeah. I think there's eight 30-minute sessions and there's different topics. And But um, yeah, I, I uh, Charisma asked me to write an article after this. What did you learn from the fathers? And if they didn't ask me to do that, I should have done this anyway just for me because what it let me do is capture some of those pieces of just because it you know I was 48 at the time but I kept saying I want to be like you guys when I grow up because they're finishing well yeah great humility when I asked them to share about their mistakes there was no hesitation Mm -hmm. they freely shared screw-ups mistakes do-overs wish I had a mulligan on that one you know kind of thing and um and what they learned from it Mm -hmm. and um and I told them I said because Winky Prattney has always said to me Dave you know the emerging generation always learns more from our mistakes than our successes. Hmm. And it's not that they want to put you in a bad place because you've made mistakes, but the but I've learned the question they ask is, so what did you do? Because they're in that same place. And so I told the told these men, you know, of a different generation, uh, I said, you, you know, I'm gonna ask you the and they just said that's that's great. Hmm. And they're so 
secure in who they are in the Lord, that there's no uh, air of boasting. Like when we were with Henry Blackaby preparing for this, um, Cheryl and I had spent some time with him and as we were getting to know him and he was starting to share his heart and he said, can I share something with you that's really exciting for me? I said, well, yeah. And he said, he said, I was, um, so this must have been like 2007. He was the, um, oh, what, I forget what they call the role, but he's like the point person for the National Day of Prayer, whatever they call that role. So on that day, then you're at the White House, and so he's meeting President Bush. And he said, um, Bush's assistant had come to him and said, Henry, I just want you to know that the president for years has used um, Oswald Chambers utmost for his highest for his daily readings. And recently now he switched over to you know, to your book, which I have on the, on the mm. shelf here, you know, of, of your experiencing God day by day. And, and when he was telling it, there was no banging the chest bravado. It was just this, can you believe that? I mean, like a little boy. And then, and then he said, and then I found out that the Pope, you know, the Pope has gone through experiencing God, his book. And he, and he was like, can you believe? He was, but his eyes were like, and, and I just thought inside again, I want to be like that when I grow up. So the, the reason some of these men were in this series, like, like Jack Hayford just said, I, I can't believe that you would put me in the same category as these men. Hmm. And Lauren Cunningham saying, even if I don't say anything, it'd just be a privilege to be there to hear what they have to <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And I'm going, I mean, that's what I want to be when I grow up. You know, I, I don't, I, I want to be a man that walks in humility and the fear of the Lord, you know, and who can share not only the challenges, but these guys shared their triumphs, but there was not a hint of bravado. Mm. It was just like, this is what Jesus did in and through me, and it's such a privilege to be a part of this family, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so that was a highlight of my That's life. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, just talking about being real and, and struggles, the next question is just, what has been your biggest struggle in ministry, and how have you overcome that? Yeah, um... I'd say for me, uh, the greatest challenge has been um, the demands of ministry when it comes to the, um, I'm a people guy, and so just the demands of people, you know, the, the, the legitimate needs. I'm not talking about the extremes, you know, we all have those, but just the legitimate needs and uh, all that, and, and making sure that I've always balanced that right with two things. One is my own walk with the Lord, and secondly is my family. And so one of the things that we did to um, balance that or overcome that is early on when I was in my late 20s and into my 30s, um, we were planting a church here in the Nashville area. And um, we told the flock that um, don't be surprised that when there's a church event going on, it'll only be one of the two of us, Cheryl or me, there. And they'd say, well, why is that? I said, well, we only have one shot with our kids. And so, um, so, you know, we'd be at it. And sometimes, you know, as the pastor, it was probably something I should be at, you know, mm -hmm. quote unquote, but I wouldn't be there. And she, I, Cheryl just felt like she was to go. And so I stayed with the kids and, you know, and it, it riled a few people up until they got used to it. But we just said, this is going to be part of our church culture. It's like, you, you guys don't need me to be there for everything. I don't need to be the Pope to bless everything. I just, and so we only get one shot with our kids. And so that, that was huge. Um, and then another thing that Cheryl and I have done with that is um, that, that fed both our walk with the Lord. Uh, because I, for me, Jim, um, the integrity thing, yes, but what speaks to me louder is, you know, in the Strengths Finder book, mm -hmm. one of the Strength Finder, which is my top one, is belief. Hmm. And it's like if I, I have trouble in my relationships or my leading or my public communication speaking, 
if I know I'm not living it inside. Mm. I have to I have to be living it inside to be able to express it. Otherwise, I feel like I'm a phony. And so, so the Lord has done some real work in us, both Cheryl and I, in that area. And one of the ways that we practice this as a as a couple is twice a year we usually do prayer retreats where the two of us will just get away for um, oh maybe like a a day day and a half sometimes two days and what we'll do is we always start with the question Lord is there anything in our hearts that's not right with you and then once we're done with that is there anything in our hearts where that's not right with each other and so we know we're really good with the Lord and each other. And then we, we, you know, when our kids were little, my son's 31, my daughter's ready to turn 29. So they're, uh, you know, been out of the house for years now. But when they were little, um, we w- might start with, Lord, what are you saying to us about the education of our kids this year? We didn't assume because they were in that school that last year they should be this year. So we'd wait on the Lord about our family, um, about vacations, about um, then maybe the ministry things we're doing or my speaking things or my wife is an artist, her artwork, and and literally wait on the Lord. And we'd, we'd set aside, say, like an mm, hour and a half to three hours depending on the topic. And literally, Jim, it was we would after we dealt with our own hearts, we would then kind of say, okay, Lord, we lay aside our own thoughts and imaginations. You know, First Corinthians, we resist the enemy in Jesus' name. The only voice left here is is you. And we just simply ask him questions. We knew when we were done because we were looking at each other. And we'd say, what did you get? And we'd share. And it was like, okay, we got that. Did you get anything on this piece? No. We go back to prayer until we could say to each other, I think we've heard from the Lord. This is what we're to do. Mm-hmm. And we would do that with topic after topic after topic. And uh, it was... Um, like one of the ones I remember, this was um, 2007. It was our uh, January of 2007, and December was our 25th anniversary. And Cheryl had been talking to me about, hey, honey, what if we like go to Italy or something for our 25th? And I'm thinking, well, that's awesome, but I know we didn't have the cha-ching at the moment, but I know when God leads, you know. So we had about a half hour left at our prayer retreat, and I, I tend to have my Mac out, and I'm writing down what the Lord's giving us so I can you know have it. And I looked at that was the only thing we hadn't covered. So I said, what if we just ask? I know it's 11 months off, but let's just ask the Lord. So we go, okay. So we did. We said, Lord, what are you saying to us about our 25th hour? Are we to do a trip? Are we to... And as soon as I ask that and we get quiet, like within five seconds, I hear inside the Caribbean. Well, we've been there, uh, you know, a time before, and I, and I was in Italy. So I said, Lord, my rest of my time was going, you better say something to her, you know. And uh, and so when she's looking at me, she says, so, honey, what would you get? I said, no, why don't you share first what you got? And she said, I got the Caribbean. Mm, wow. And, you know, the Lord opened up a trip for us that year to celebrate an anniversary that was just remarkable. Wow. We couldn't have done it on our own. And, and, and I say that to say the Lord has always used those things to say, I care about all of you. If I know how many hairs you have on your head, it means I care about all of you, not just ministry, but your walk with me, your family life. So for me, the greatest challenge has been making sure that um, those things are tended. And I don't mean, um, like, like I have a friend of mine that says, do you know that Jesus is interested in being first in your life? He wants to be central. Because if he's first, then you say, Jesus first, then is it my health or my family? Because if not, you know, and you start organizing a list where if Jesus is center, it's more like a wheel. He's in the center and he wants to be a part of everything. Mm. And so Cheryl and I have tried to live our lives realizing that ministry is one of those spokes. But our family, our walk with Jesus, our relationships in life, the things we do, it's he's center. And uh, one's not more important than the other. What's most important is what he's saying now for me to walk in. And um, so, so those have been things that have been challenges, but that's how we have kind of built in godly systems 
in our marriage to function. Mm, that's awesome. Um, let's just talk about that a little bit, kind of the discipline of, of rest. Uh, right before the interview, you were talking about mm-hmm. how you're coming off a intentional season yep. time. So just, just talk about how you've made rest uh, a discipline okay. in, in your life. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was telling Jim just before we got on that I've learned to vacation well. And, and what had happened was is in my late 20s, early 30s, when we were planting a church, um, it was kind of the first time we were going to be away. And, you know, when you plant a church, it feels a bit like your baby, you know, and you want to make sure everything's fine. And so I was doing that. I had an associate, uh, we were a church of maybe 125, and a guy that worked with me and uh, named David. And and uh, so I knew I just needed to front load David with whatever, ask let him ask questions. And then I remember the Lord showed me and said, you know, if you leave on this vacation, and you're thinking about this church, what it means is you don't actually believe I'm the head of it. You believe you are. Oh, wow. And that was a, a very loving way for the Lord to say, just go. And, it, and, and so I have learned since, so it's been a discipline now in my life for about 25 years of realizing, okay, when I plan well, so you know, just whatever, you know, I make sure the person's well equipped and all that. But then once I say goodbye, I always kid by saying, Hey, I'll see you in two weeks. I don't want to hear from you. And it's my teasing way to communicate. I say, I don't want to hear from you uh, unless either my house is on fire or someone's died, you know, and then I get it. But other than that, I trust you. I'll back your leadership decision, whatever you decide, because you're on point. And um, that has never failed me once. Has it, does it mean there hasn't been some problems? No, there has. But the leader did a great job and I could just come back in. And and so what Cheryl and I do is, is like what we were just talking about here. Um, I have in the fall, shall I call it the fall run, and it's about a it's about a eight to ten week season that's pretty busy locally and nationally for me in travel and speaking and things. And so, like for example, between now the end of September, actually October second through December eighteen or nineteen, I have to be in eight different locations. And so, um, so what we did is last week we uh, had a friend who just loaned us their lake house, and we just chilled and laid low, slept extra, took some walks um, out, out in the water, uh, you know, just had fun, just the two of us. And we've already planned that from whatever it is, the 19th, I think I get back home in December, for those that Friday through the first Monday in January, 16 days, nothing. We, my mom and dad will be in for a week for the holidays, but other than that, it's just like, it's just, and and when I led a staff, I always gave them those two weeks off. I said, don't plan anything. If you want to go home, just do it. But I said, what I want you to do is have lots of fun with your family. And then I want you to be back on January 5th, like ready to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know, you're rested, you're ready. And I, I found that was a great morale thing for my team as well. And so they always had their other two or three weeks off. But this was an additional that I gave. And it's because I, um, I have found that uh, Dave is a much better leader servant of jesus teacher when he's rested mm-hmm. not only not to mention a better husband and dad and all those things and cheryl would say the same if she was here a better wife and mom and and um but um the when i i do something jim called the journey that's a six-month discipleship thing i do for leaders and the the first book i have them read is joy dawson's book intimate friendship with god through understanding the fear of the lord that's a game changer mm-hmm. but the second one is dr swenson's book margin and he basically says you should live your life in such a way that you always have 15% margin, that you should, should live on 85%. And so you have the 15% margin when the Lord calls you to sprint. You know, life happens and you have to sprint. And he said the problem is, is most of us are living daily on 110%. Hmm. 
And so, um, so it's something that's become a part of our journey. Don't say we do it perfectly, but it's now a rhythm in our lives, and it's something I try to help other leaders catch as well. That's awesome. All right, we'll be right back with uh, three practical tips on how to do ministry well from Dave Buring. Hi, this is Brian Ensminger. If you enjoyed doing ministry well, we'd really appreciate it if you'd check out the Engaging Missions show, where we deliver God's stories to your earbuds. You can find us at engagingmissions.com. Hey, everyone. I believe you're here because you love learning from others. One of the last questions I ask people I interview is what resource has been inspiring you lately? Audible.com and Doing Ministry Well have teamed up to bring you a free 30-day trial so that even if you don't have time to sit down and read a book, you can listen to some of the great resources that are shared here. Sign up at audibletrial.com slash doingministrywell. All right, and we're back. Dave, please share with us three practical tips to doing ministry well. Um, I love that question. That's a great question because um, everybody's learned different things. You know, For me, uh, I would say the, the, the three things first is um, I, I love Proverbs 4.23 where it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And I find most people who are not doing well in ministry, they have violated that, that scripture. They have not guarded their heart. And so what I've done, like I, I, when I teach on this, I'll say, you know, if you guys would cut my heart open, I think you would see, so to speak, spiritually, five things that I've built to guard my heart. And so just real quickly, the first one is humility. You know, and my humility is a willingness to be known for who I really am, my weaknesses and my strengths. And am I, so I have to ask myself the question in situation, am I walking in humility here or am I letting pride get in? It guards my heart. The second one is brokenness. Um, you know, the, the brokenness is that place of being yielded and dependent on God. Am I, I don't mean like a shattered glass on the floor, but it, it, um, like when you break a horse, you're breaking their will. Mm. And, and I think my... So in other words, am I being willful? Am I being yielded? And that's the question I have to ask myself. Um, the third one is uh, obedience. Am I walking in obedience to what the Lord has asked me to do? And that's, for example, with the prayer retreats I was speaking of earlier, um, the whole idea that is shown, I want to walk in obedience to the Lord. Out of you know, I think when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me, he kind of shrugged his shoulders. If you love me, man, you're going to obey me. And, and so I don't view this as some rigid kind of thing I view it as an overflow of my love for God and and so um, like Cheryl and I have just been praying over some things when we were away last week and kind of prayer retreatish mode and and we got our marching orders and now we can reference each other and say okay yeah that's not obeying well we need to stay true to this you know um, so but it guards my heart um, the fourth one is servanthood am I approaching things through an attitude of being served or serving others and um, which also speaks to me of relinquishing my rights. You know, I think oftentimes we walk around with rights and entitlements. And so I ask myself, am I, am I entering into this thing with a servant's attitude? And the last one is the fear of the Lord. Um, the fear of the Lord to me, I, I define it as reverencing and referencing God in all that I do. And, um, and so those are, that, that would be the first one for me is, is uh, you know, above all else, guard your heart. Because I see that's where leaders are often taken out. The, you know, bitterness, resentment. Because, you know, in ministry, people say and do bad stuff. <laughs> and um, and it's because, you know, I wrestled that three years ago. Like, what the heck? Like, why does this happen in the business world? And, well, it's because we're family. You know, in Hawaiian, it's ohana, you know. And, and we're family. And because with family, there's just greater expectations and there's emotional connections. And that's why we feel it so much. And 
but um, I had to learn just to guard that place. The second thing for me would be um, treating people with honor. Um, the Bible speaks as much about honoring as it does obeying. Hmm. And that was an interesting lesson for me, um, mm, yeah, about 20, almost 25 years ago now. And um, I love uh, Romans 12. It says, outdo one another in showing honor in the ESV. And, um, and honor has to do with recognizing other people's value, not only in your life, but in God's eyes. Mm. And which, again, it affects not only my relationships and my friendships and team and all that, but also with the lost. You know, somebody who is lost as a goose in a snowstorm, if you treat them with honor, you know, you're, you're going to have voice there into their lives. And I, I've learned over the years that to the degree you have relationship, to that degree, usually you have authority to speak into somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And if you don't treat someone with honor, they, they can't hear you. So regardless of the sin, regardless of the deception, do you treat them with value? And, and when I teach this, Jim, what I'll do is I'll take a bottle of water, make sure it's about two-thirds empty so there's just enough on the bottom and all. I'll say, um, pretend you're with me right now at the cross of Jesus. And I, I, and he's just been taken off. I'll take the lid off the bottle, and I'll go to whatever I'm pointing to as the cross, and I'll scrape the bottle up again, say, and so I'm trying to actually scrape as much of the actual blood of Jesus as I can into this bottle, and I seal it, and I say, and so today, after this time, I'm going to sell this on eBay. How much does this go for? Well, ultimately, someone will say, you know, it's priceless. And then what I'll do is I, I'll start to walk around the room and hold the bottle over people's heads and say, which means then you're priceless. Mm -hmm. And so you're worthy of being treated that. And so I'll say, whether your sexual orientation is different, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a prostitute, it doesn't matter. You are worthy of being treated with value mm -hmm. and with honor. And I have found that to be, it doesn't mean I agree with the sin or the deception, but it means I recognize they're just as creaturely as me and the blood of Jesus was shed for both of us, mm. and I should treat you with that kind of value that he sees you. Mm. That's been a game changer That's for good. me. Um, and then the third one, I would say, is um, making sure, in obedience to the Great Commission, that, that the things that God teaches us, that we're finding opportunities to reproduce it in others. And uh, I find that is... Um, one of the greatest things lacking in the world of discipleship right now. People like to get discipled, but then it stops with them. Hmm. And um, I think it's really, really important. And, and I would go even to the point of saying it's it's critical to our obedience in Jesus in the Great Commission that we be deliberate to pass on to others uh, the things that Jesus has put in us. And so that that's kind of where my disciple-making heart you know, comes out. So I'd say guarding your heart, honoring others, and being deliberate about reproducing in others are, are three three things I think are really important. That's awesome. The last question for today is just what's been inspiring you lately? Is there any books or resources that have just really served as inspiration for you? Yeah, there is. Um, so, and you, you know this, Jim, I, when I graduated from high school in Minnesota, I spent the next seven years in Kona, Hawaii, and, and I was with Youth of the Mission there. And, while I was there, um, I learned about uh, a story of a young man by the name of Henry Opukaha'ia. And he was a Hawaiian young man who uh, is a remarkable story. And um, he was the first Hawaiian Christian. And because of his life and then his untimely death at 26, that mobilized uh, the second missions team in the history of our country to bring the gospel to what was called the Sandwich Islands at the time. And within 40 years of that landing in 1820 between 80 and 90 percent of the islands had become Christian and 
a friend of mine who's kind of a historian journalist guy by the name of Chris Cook has written a book called The Providential Life of Henry Obukaya. And uh, it's just come out uh, here in July. And he um, takes kind of and builds off of the actual memoirs that were compiled that Obukaya had put together, uh, or a friend had put together after he had died that mobilized the missionaries. He picks up from that story, and he did tons of research in New England where he was at Yale and that area. And it's a remarkable book because things, for example, like this, um, Mark Twain read the Sunday school version of Opakaya's story in the 1830s, and he actually, because of that, went to the location where he got on the boat, left Hawaii, where the where he was being trained to be the next human sacrificing pr- priest. The heiau, where this happens in Hawaii, it's still there, and Twain went to see it. He inspired people, because this was during the time that Wilberforce was dealing with slavery issues in England, they saw this as they called him a savage from an island, learn Hebrew, Latin, Greek, start translating the Bible, give his life to Jesus, want to go take his nation, his countrymen for God, and they saw him die. And um, and that inspired some of those people to say there's something about this color issue that we've got to look at this different and inspired people in our own country to deal with. I mean, on and, and so when you when you read this book, that's why he called it The Providential Life of Henry Obukaya, that from this one little guy's life, all this stuff, including... Here it is, which is remarkable to me. Um, this all took place on the Big Island of Hawaii where he was born and left, and then the missionaries came back. That the island's only 92 by 76 miles, height and uh, you know, length and breadth. And because of Opokaya's prayers, here 200 years later, 2020 will be the 200-year anniversary, you have the largest missions organization in the world's main hub is on that island. And I believe it's a result of this guy's prayers. And um, so anyway, it's, it's a book that's been inspiring. And, and uh, as I mentioned to you, we're taking a group of people over in February to, 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 uh, to the Big Island where we're going to do four days to go to those locations where God moved and tell the stories. I'll tell it. I got this, this guy is going to be with us and then some of the local Hawaiian leaders. Awesome. And, um, and so um, that's been kind of an inspiration for me uh, here over the summer months and into the fall. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and just lastly, uh, if people want to connect with you, how can they do that? And then share a little bit about the book you've written as well. Yeah, um, so uh, they're welcome to contact me via email. It's dave at lionshare, L-I-O-N-S-H-A-R-E dot org, dave at lionshare dot org. Um, and um, yeah, there's a couple of things we've done. One is a resource called a Discipleship Journey, which is a tool to help people get discipled. It's very easy to use, but it actually helps you reproduce the things of Jesus and someone else to the point that they could take and do the same. And then a, a kind of the why of discipleship is a book called The Jesus Blueprint, and it really helps one understand like why was disciple-making so important to Jesus. He taught the multitudes, but he invested in 12, and he banked his whole time on earth on these 12 guys and um and so it, it kind of lays out why it's important and um, about 80 percent of the book is why 20 percent how and that's where the discipleship journey is more the how so those those are two resources that um, we've created that we're we're uh, continuing to use and serve others awesome yeah awesome. dave awesome interview thanks so much for your time yeah um, you're would welcome you just close this out by praying for our listeners sure i'd be honored to lord thank you for the work that you desire to do in our lives. Thank you that you are our companion. You're still Emmanuel, God with us. And thank you, Lord, that you're not only with us in presence, but you're with us in spirit. 
You're, you're with us. You're for us. And we're grateful for that. And Lord, thank you because of that. You want to work things in and through our lives. You want to help us address places of stuckness and bondage. And you want us to walk in freedom to fulfill uh, friendship with you and with others and the call of God on our lives. And I'm just asking you, Lord, for these precious listeners, these friends of Jim, I just would ask, Lord, that you would use the things that we've talked about today to... Um, maybe uncover areas of their lives that they weren't aware was there. And that, Lord, whether there's a, a need for healing or encouragement or equipping there, would you do that? Lord, for those that needed maybe some inspiration today uh, or equipping, would you use this for that? And I just would ask, Lord, there's uh, your blessing on Jim and uh, doing ministry well. Lord, you know that's my heart as well. I, I want to finish well. And I want those who are hearing to finish well. And part of that is learning to do ministry well. So Jesus, we humble ourselves and ask you to continue to teach us how to do that, my life included. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dave, thanks so much for being on the show. You're welcome. If you've enjoyed this episode of Doing Ministry Well, you can help us out by rating, commenting, and subscribing on iTunes and sharing this podcast with your friends. Check out the podcast notes to find out more about today's guests and other resources. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions on who we should interview next, contact us at doingministrywell.com. If you'd like to find out more about me, your host, visit my blog at jimjessbaker.com. That's Jim, Jess as in Jessica, baker.com.